Welcome to Revealed Truth, the audio outreach ministry of Moores Creek Baptist Church. I am Pastor Roger Barnes, and I invite you now to join me as we open the Bible, God's Revealed Truth. Joshua, the book of Joshua, just in case you haven't been there before, you're going to look all the way back at the very front of your Bible. You're going to find Judges. You're going to find Deuteronomy sandwiched right between those two. You're going to find the book of Joshua, the book of Joshua. And once you have found the book of Joshua, find the third chapter with me, if you would, in the very first verse. And once you have found Joshua, chapter 3, verse number 1, stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's word. Joshua, chapter 1, or chapter 3, started in verse 1, reads like this. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Acacia Grove and came to Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they crossed over. So it was, after three days that the officers went through the camp, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go. For you have not passed this way before. Most gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for so blessing our hearts this morning. Thank you for blessing our hearts through our fellowship time, through our singing, and through that song that Johnny sang that reminds us, that your son rose from the dead as the first fruits, therefore we will rise from the dead, that he one day is coming back to get us. This morning as we look at this passage in Joshua, let it come through a heart that has been washed clean by the blood of your son, Jesus Christ, and empowered by his rising from the dead. Today, Father, make very little of me and very much of you that we may see you in all of your glory. This we pray in the name of your precious son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We're continuing in our series that we started this year called For Such a Time as This. For Such a Time as This. The last message that lasted a couple of weeks, and go ahead and put your seatbelts on. This one is also. Uh, the last message that lasted a couple of weeks uh, was entitled, He Has Brought Us Out So That He Can Bring Us In. If you remember, we were also in the Old Testament with uh, that story, that passage, and we were looking at God delivering Israel out of the hand of Pharaoh in Egypt. He brought them out through the Red Sea, if you remember, and he brought them out so that he could bring them in to something, if you remember. His purpose in bringing them out was not that they would not be in bondage in Egypt. That was not his purpose at all. He brought them out of Egypt to save them, yes, but salvation was not all that he had in mind. His power, or it's by his power that he parted that Red Sea, that they might be saved, if you remember. And as the enemy rushed in behind, the Red Sea closed, and all of them were killed says, but he led them then through the wilderness. He led them towards the promised land, and that was his intent, was to bring them into the promised land. If you've ever looked at your Bibles, I can't remember if I mentioned this in the last message, but the journey, the shortest journey from where they crossed the Red Sea into the promised land was 11 days. 11 days. Yet they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Why? Because the people of Israel did not believe that God was capable of delivering them from the inhabitants of the land of Canaan. It was disbelief. 
They thought that if they went into that land, they would all be killed. Remember what they said? Our wives and our little ones will be slaughtered. Only two of the 12 spies that were sent out to search that land thought that they could enter. And the people chose to believe the majority of the 10 that said they couldn't instead of God who said they could through the two. They were content with being saved. They did not desire to go into what God had in store for them. If we as Christians today are not careful, we'll be content with being saved and not desire to go any further with God. We will be absolutely content with just being saved. You know, I don't think that that's God's plan for our life. See, we will be content with being brought out of the bondage of sin and never look forward to being brought into all that God has for us. How do you know when you meet a Christian that's content with just being saved? How do you know? I've thought about that this week. I think I know how you can tell. You ask them about their salvation, they can give you the date. They can give you the time. They can give you the place. They can give you the message that was preached. They can tell you what the weather was outside. They can tell you the car they drove up in and what they were wearing in most cases. <laughs> they can tell you all about that experience. They can tell you the temperature of the church. They can tell you what had gone on. They can tell you about how they were brought out of a life of sin and, and they've got this new life. They can tell you that, that they no longer desire those things that they they desired before. They could tell you about that entire experience. But here's how you can tell they're just content with their salvation. Because there's some things they can't tell you. <laughs> they can't tell you. They can't quote to you. They can't give you scripture that God's using today in their life. And why? Because they're not spending time there. They can't tell you the last time that they spent extended time for some extended time, maybe minutes, for others it may be hours, on their knees before holy God, seeking what he has in store for their lives. They can't tell you. They can't share the burden that God has for the lost by telling you that that burden is on their heart. And here's the saddest one of all. They can't tell you the name, the place, the person, or the last time that they sat across the table from someone and told them about what God had done in their life through a man named Jesus Christ and did it with the sole purpose of having that person come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. You want to know how a Christian is content with just being saved? They don't share that good news with anybody else. Here's the sad fact. Many of our Baptist churches today are content with being saved. Baptisms have been on decline for a number of years. There are churches closing their door every day. You know why that is? It's not because the gospel doesn't work. It's not because the Bible is not true. It's not because God's not God. It's because God's people are content with just being saved. Let me just get to the heart of the matter. It's not in my notes. But so be it. 
Look next to you. Do you see an empty pew? You want to know why that pew is empty? Because you're content with just being saved. There's enough lost people within walking distance of this building to fill this building up every Sunday morning four or five times. The only reason we don't have them lined up in the aisle and standing outside to listen through the doors is because we are content with just being saved. I am not content with just being saved. The church will not stay at a steady state. It will either increase because it's doing what God has called us to do, or it will decline because we're not. We can't sit on our laurels, as mom would say, and expect God to bless us. You see, we don't need to be just content with what God has done. We need to be involved in what God is doing. God did not save you just so you could avoid hell. Satan would like to make you think that. If you've been saved, he can't change that. But you know what Satan can try to change about your salvation? He can try to make sure you don't grow to be like Christ. He can try to make sure you don't share that message with anyone else. What's his number one tool? He tells you, you've got your fire insurance. You're good. Wait for the day that Jesus calls you home and you'll be in heaven. That's a lie from the pit of hell. That is not why God saved you. If that was, why are you still here? If God saved you just to take you to heaven, why are you still here? You're still here because God called you to glorify Him. He called you to do those things that He is doing. He called you to go and seek and to save the lost and to share the good news of Jesus Christ, to live a a Christ-like life that is so glorifying to God that others are drawn to you like a moth to a flame. He's called you to be on fire for Him, not to sit in a pew and soak in sour for an hour on Sunday and call it done. If this is what you think worship is, you're going to be miserable in heaven. Miserable. Because for the first time ever in a Baptist church, I'm going to get to jump a pew and nobody's going to look at me. I can't wait. I can't wait to stand before a man who died up on the cross for my sins and fall on his feet and say, I love you with everything that I have. I don't want to sit in a pew and just soak and sour and say, what's he got for us today? And I hope he has us out by 12 o'clock. Don't count on it today. I'm telling you this. God has a plan for our lives. And if we don't get on board, I hate to be you when you stand before Jesus and say, I got saved. I'm done. And he goes, what did you do for me? What did you do for me? There's going to come a day you're going to look Jesus in the eye. And you're going to be looking in the eye of a man who stepped out of the glory of heaven to come and hang himself a butt across and to die a horrible death for you. And do you really want to say, all I've done is believe that one thing? Is that all you want your Christian life to be? God has a plan for your life. God not only has a plan for your life, he has a plan for us corporately as a church. He has a vision for what this church is to do. And we're to get behind that vision and go where God goes. This morning, let's look at this story in Joshua. The story of Joshua. This morning we come to the story, as you know, of the crossing of the Jordan River. 
We looked over the last couple of weeks at the exit from Egypt through the Red Sea with the bringing out. And now we're standing right at the Jordan River, which is the crossing end point. That crossing end point where they're about to go into this land, this promised land. It's a story of how God works in the lives of his people who are obedient to him to accomplish what he has planned for him, for them. And God, God is seeking for his people. For his people to be obedient to him today so that he can use them to accomplish that which he desires to do in this world. Let's look at the story of God leading his people, Israel, into the land that he had promised him. First, I noticed this when I read this story. First, I noticed the preparation of God's people. He called his leader Joshua to take the people down to the the Jordan River. This river stood between them and the promised land. Now they had been in bondage, and what stood between bondage and the salvation was the Red Sea. The Red Sea had been parted and they had been saved. The Red Sea had closed upon their enemy and the enemy was no longer chasing them. Now as they approached the Jordan, the only thing that kept them from the promised land was the strip of water, the Jordan River. But notice, they didn't immediately go in. In verse number 1 it says this, And Joshua rose early in the morning. There's a side note that just hit me. He rose early in the morning. Why do you think he got up early in the morning? God doesn't call us to be sloths. He calls us to get up and get going. He most times, in most lives of growing Christians, if you ask them, when is the most precious time of your day? It is early in the morning with their Bible open. Joshua rose early in the morning, it says, and it says, and they set out from the Acacia Grove and they came to the Jordan River, down to the Jordan. He and all the children of Israel, and look, it says, and they lodged there before they crossed over. First, he called them to set out. He called them to set out from where they were, the Acacia Grove. They had wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. For 40 years, get this, for 40 years, God had provided everything that they needed. I wrote down a couple of things to provide. A pillar of smoke and fire to lead them. Remember? I would have the fire at night and the smoke to hover over them. Whenever the enemy approached, they put the fire and the smoke between them. So he provided through that. He gave them manna. They just walked outside. The white bread was stacked up on the porch. They gave them manna. Guess what? When he thought the manna wasn't good enough, well, they said, man, we're tired of eating manna. They come out, they were knee-deep in quail. They were having to kick them out of the way. So he provided, check this out. For 40 years, they wandered in the desert. How many times did they stop at the Walmart to get new clothes? The answer to that question is zero. For 40 years, their clothes never got a hole in them. How many of you got, oh, I better not ask that question. Yeah, I will. How many of you are wearing clothes for 40 years ago? 40 years. They don't make them like that no more, do they? Here's one even better. And all the men in the congregation go, boy, I wish you'd do this again. For 40 years, they never went to a shoe store. They walked in the desert. They wandered around on rocks and sandals. And their shoes never wore out. Is that amazing to anybody other than me? You go to my house. Good, my wife's in the nursery. I hope the sound's not on Johnny. You go to my house, my wife could wander around for 40 million years in the desert with the shoes that are lined up in our closet. But for 40 years, not a hole, not a busted thong on the, on the shoe, nothing. For 40 years. And then I thought the only thing that happened to them in the wilderness that was negative was the thing that they caused. You thought about that? 
The only thing that happened negative to them in, in the wilderness really was the thing that they caused. Because God had told them, go into the land of Canaan. They sent out spies. The spies came back. Ten said no. Two said yes. They said, let's go with the ten, not the two. God said, fine. You worried about your children and your wives and all those getting to die and being attacked in the promised land? Go for a walk. Forty years they walked around in the desert to all the adults died. The only negative thing that happened to them in the desert happened because they disobeyed God. Because they didn't trust God. They didn't believe that he would do what he said he would do. And because of that, they wandered around in the desert until all of the adults died except for two. Joshua and Caleb. The two, by the way, that said the land is full of milk and honey. The grapes are as big as your head. Yeah, the people are big, but our God is bigger. Come on, let's go. Those two. survived and now those who remained he said to them set out get out from where you're at get out of your comfort zone move from where you already called them to leave the place that they were and to go to the place that they did not really know about remember none of them had been around except as small children when they approached that Jordan the first time except for Joshua and Caleb He called them to go to a place they did not know about. You know, God calls us continually to set out from where we are. To set out. He does not desire for us to be in a state of maintaining or remaining where we are. He desires for us to set out and to reach the place that God had intended for them to be. They had to set out from where they were. On faith, they had to leave the place that they had grown accustomed to and head to a place they weren't so comfortable with. I can't help but think we're being called to set out. We're being called to set out from where we have grown extremely comfortable to a place that we do not yet know. But we're going to follow the call of God to that place. Why? Because that's obedience. I don't know about you, but I don't want an 11-day journey to take me 40 years and to end in death. I want to be obedient to God. So God has called them out. The second thing I noticed, he not only uh, called them out or to set out on a journey, he called them also to set up when they got there, to set up. The last half of that first verse says... And he and all the children of Israel went and lodged there before they crossed over. It goes on to tell us there in the next verse, so it was after three days. So they went and lodged. We can deduce then, since it mentions three days, that they were to lodge there before the Jordan River for a certain period of time. And if I had to read between the lines, I would say it was probably somewhere in the neighborhood of about three days. I stopped and thought, what's significant about the fact that they were there three days? Was there anything in the Old Testament I remembered about law that said there was a purification process for three days? or They, they had to be set. Then it dawned on me. You know, there is an amazing story in the Bible that is contained in a three-day period of time. You heard it sung about this morning. What's the significance of the three days? I recall a time in the Old Testament where three days was pretty significant. On the first day of the three days, Jesus Christ hung upon a cross, outstretched his arms, and died for your sins. 
He paid a price we could not pay because he desired to have a relationship with us we could have no other way. Up until that point in time, there had been sacrifices given yearly that there might be atonement made and that we might be in the presence of God for a short period of time because there had been no perfect sacrifice. Yet the first of those three days, the perfect sacrifice was found and hung upon a cross with nails driven in his hands and his feet, a spear running to his side, a crown thrust down upon his head, and the people walking by and spitting upon him. He hung on a tree on the very first day. And he died that Friday. He died. Then he was placed in a tomb. For three days, he lay in the tomb. For three days, he laid in the tomb. But thank God, there was a third day. Thank God there was a third day that when they came to anoint the body, they came to see him, they noticed the stone had been rolled away. The stone was rolled away not so that he could get out. The stone was rolled away so that we could get in. I've walked in that tomb, but I'm here to tell you it is empty. It is empty because Christ rose in the power of an almighty God, not just to save us, but to empower us. For he saved us when he stretched his arms out on the cross. He laid into the tomb and waited until the day that God said, come forth. And he rose in power that we might be filled with the power of an almighty God and have the hope of a victory over death. He rose on the third day. You know, there's a problem with Christians today. (laughs) There's not a single Christian alive, I don't believe, that that doesn't believe in Friday, else you wouldn't be a Christian. We all believe that have come to trust Him as our Lord and Savior, that Jesus Christ died upon a cross for our sins personally. We all believe He hung there that we might be forgiven. We believe He was in the tomb, resting, And we have heartedly believed that he rose from the dead. But the problem is this. We've walked through the blood of the cross on Friday. But when we got to Saturday, we pulled up a chair. And we sat down. Because we've got our insurance. What more do we need? We find ourselves, having been washed by the blood on Friday, sitting on our southern parts on Saturday, relishing what Christ has done. What if Christ had stayed in the tomb? There's a third day. There's a third day that was given for our empowerment He doesn't want us to sit on Saturday on our day of rest and think about what he's done for us on Friday. He wants us to move to Sunday so that we're empowered by the risen power of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Never forget, yes, there was a Friday where he died for your sins. Yes, there was a Saturday that he hung out in the tomb, but Praise God, there was a Sunday. There was a Sunday the tomb was found empty because he had risen from the dead. And because he rose from the dead, you will too. Jesus didn't stay at rest on that second day. On the third day, he rose. And just like the Israelites, we need to not only set out, 
but we need to set up. But we don't need to settle in. <laughs> we don't need to settle in. See, there is a danger in setting up camp. There's a real danger sometimes in setting up camp. Sometimes setting up camp makes us settle for where we are. <laughs> what if the Israelites had settled in just short of the Jordan? There they were. <laughs> there they were with their camp before the Jordan River. <laughs> they could see this beautiful river just running past. Maybe they hung out on the dock with a fishing pole. Or they had a bonfire built and they were roasting hot dogs and hamburgers. They just sat out and could see the sun set over the Jordan. Oh, it was just beautiful. And when they looked way across the river, they could see this land, this promised land. Now, I put my feet in the Jordan. We were in Israel. I wouldn't have to look real far to see the other side today. <laughs> For it's much closer to be in a ditch than it is a mighty raging river. But in that day and time, they say the river was two miles wide. Two miles. Here they camped before this Jordan River. Joshua was saying, there's where God wants us to go. And there's this two-mile body of water between them and this promised land. You know what could have happened? They could have said, wow, that's a lot of water. They look around. Nobody brought a boat. Did you notice there's no boats in the story? They could have looked around and said, you know what? I don't see a bridge across this thing either. And as far as I can tell, there's probably not enough trees for us to even build us one. They could have looked around at everybody that was gathered and said, you know what, there's probably only a handful that can even attempt to swim this river. The bulk would never make it. They could have come up with a thousand excuses to stay settled. A thought just hit me. We do that today, don't we? You know, God calls us to spend quiet time with him. To read the Bible. I think God has some awesome authors out there that write some really wonderful books that we should read. And I have people ask me all the time, as busy as you are, how do you find the time to read? Let me make a statement to you. Anything that's important to you, you'll find time for. And if you can't find time, you'll find an excuse. You'll find an excuse. Boy, I'm really going to jump off in deep water now. You know why we could put everybody that comes on Wednesday night on the first three pews here every Wednesday night? Because the bulk of you find an excuse. Shoot me. It's the truth. If God was so important to you that you wanted to be in his presence every time you could with his body, you'd find a way, not an excuse. Wow, don't know where that one came from. Yes, I do. <laughs> Oftentimes we do exactly what they do, or what they could have done. We look at that obstacle ahead of us. We see the obstacle, and it just absolutely scares us to death. Could you imagine? History tells us that 
Joshua had somewhere between one and two million people with him at the Jordan. Could you imagine running through his mind? How am I going to get two million people across that? Could you imagine the weight that was upon him as he thought about the children and the, the people down that had, had grown up as he thought about the cattle? In his mind, it had to be racing. How do I get all of these over there? And oftentimes we look at this Jordan, our Jordan before us, our, our obstacle, and we say, this scares me to death. Good. Good. We can't see a way over it. We can't see a way through it. We can't see a way around it. We just lay there on our cot before the Jordan said, Boy, it sure looks nice. And I'm not real sure I want anything to do with going over that Jordan. There's two words I just absolutely love in the Bible. It's these two words. But God. See if it wasn't for those two words. I would still be a wretched sinner headed to a place called hell. But God stepped in. And when I think about what he did in my life to change me from the person I was to the person I am, the Jordan River don't look so big. It doesn't look so big. He brought me a lot further than two miles of water ahead of me. See, the greatest two words in the Bible for me are, but God. With God, all things are possible. If God only gave you obstacles that you could cross, you wouldn't need a God. God gives us God-sized obstacles, obstacles, so the victory over the obstacle brings God and God only the glory. So many times we're scared of that thing which sets before us and are scared to go in because the obstacle is so big. That's why he not only had them set out, but he had them set up. Because while they were set up, he called them to do a third thing, which was set apart. Set apart. In the fifth verse of Joshua 3, it says this, And Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves sanctify yourselves they were not just sitting by the jordan watching the river flow by they were not just hanging out there at the river saying boy isn't it nice here doesn't the doesn't the weather look good boy isn't that a beautiful sunset they weren't just hanging out doing nothing they were sanctifying themselves. What does it mean to sanctify? If you actually went to a literal translation of that word sanctify or that phrase sanctify yourself, it would mean change clothes. Change clothes. <laughs> How would you like to know that every time we got together you had to change clothes? <laughs> Some of us do. We all, you know. Didn't punk look good up here this morning? Wouldn't he look better with a necktie on? <laughs> I had to throw that in. I said that to him this morning. He said, don't make me whip the preacher before service starts. <laughs> He's not talking about dressing up to come to church. That's not what they're saying. He's saying, sanctify yourself. Change. What does it mean to sanctify? Change clothes. They were to take off their old dirty garments, those old things, and they were to put on new clothes. Very fast, over in the New Testament, back in the book of Ephesians. I know you guys hadn't been there in weeks and you're having withdrawal. So over in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, chapter 4 of the book of Ephesians, 
It says this in uh, verse 17. It says, This I say, therefore, testifying the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance of that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. It goes on through the story. It goes on through the thing saying in verse 20, But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus. So he says in verse 22, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. He's saying to them, put on the new man. Take off the old things. Put on the new things, that new man, that righteousness. It's the same thing over in, in uh, Romans 6, verse number 1. He says, what shall we then, uh, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. He says, certainly not. He says in verse 3, or do you not know that as many as were baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death that just as Christ is raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. There should be this newness to our walk because of what Christ has done in us his death, his burial and his resurrection over in 2 Corinthians 5.17 one of my favorite verses it says this therefore if anyone is in Christ he is a new creation all things have passed away behold all things have become new is your life a life of newness today because of what Christ has done in your life Has the old life passed away? Has the new life become the focus of your life? Have you taken time as you've set up before God to sanctify yourself? If we're made new, why do we need to be sanctified? Very quickly. Sanctification comes when you realize in your life, even though you've been made new, there are those times that you have still sinned against an almighty God. You realize that even though Jesus has saved you from your sin, you are still, you still have a propensity towards sin in your life. And when you commit sin, you're not living like that new man. But God has an answer. God has an answer. In 1 John 1 9, he says that if we will ask for forgiveness of our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That verse was written to you, believer, to you. It signifies to me that there will be those moments that I sin. But in those same moments when that sin weighs heavy upon my heart, I can fall on my face before an almighty God who has promised, remember we sung standing on the promises, He has promised to forgive you of that sin. We need to take time to set apart from sin in our lives. We need to take time to get with a holy God in true repentance, asking for forgiveness of our sins, knowing there is no sin God cannot or will not forgive. And we need to ask forgiveness for sin in our lives. We need to be specific. We need to recall that sin that we've done and be specific with God. I do not believe it is good enough to fall on your face and say, God, I have sinned. Forgive me of all of them. Because all you're trying to do is not to be honest with God and confess that which you have done. Why? Because you're embarrassed of it. You're ashamed of it. And I think that's part of the repentance process. We should be embarrassed and ashamed. 
that we have sinned against a holy God. And we should come in specificity of those things that we have done and ask for forgiveness. We need to confess where we've fallen short. We need to be honest with God. Then, then, we need to trust Him to be faithful to forgive us. We need to receive that forgiveness and stop living in the failures of our past. I talked to some Christians that quite honestly depress me. Depress me. I know they're saved. I know I'm going to sit at the table with them at the banquet, but I certainly hope they don't say something like this. Just no sinner been forgiven by the grace of God. It's a true statement. But that ain't who you are. You think God's going to look at you when you get to heaven and say, Brother Roger, you remember that money you stole back in 1975? You remember that speeding ticket you got in 1984? You remember that lie you told your mom and dad back? What does it say God does with our sin? Cast them at the bottom of the sea as far as the east is from the west. Why? To remember them no more. Because once you're forgiven, you are forgiven. Quit going back there. You want to know why you're not moving forwards? Because you forgot that forgiveness is just like your automobile. Forgiveness is the rear view mirror. And it's stuck to your windshield. If you want to look behind you, you look in the little rearview mirror. If you want to know where you're going, you look through the great big windshield. It's time you rip the rearview mirror off your window and throw it in the back seat and look out the windshield. Remember, God has forgiven you for that. Move on. God today is calling us to preparation. Point number one of what looks like could be weeks worth of sermons. <laughs> He's calling us to set out on a journey with Him. He's calling us to set up camp waiting for Him to say go. And while we're there, He's calling us to set ourselves apart from sin. What is it in your life God has called you to prepare for? What is it in your life personally God has called you to prepare for. What is it that God has called Morse Creek Baptist Church to prepare for? Have we, individually or as a church, set out on that journey? Have we set up so that we can set ourselves apart from sin, both individually and corporately? Have we honestly dealt with the sin in our life? The sin personally that we commit against God, but not only that, the sin corporately that we commit against a holy God. For God has called us to be something other than a place together on Sunday morning for a couple of hours. He has called us to do that which He is doing. He is setting about saving those that are lost. I ask you this morning, if God were to come and stand before you today, could you honestly say, I'm spending my life telling others about Christ? I'm spending my life advancing the kingdom of God where I live, where I work, where I eat, where I buy my gas? 
Could you honestly look God in the eye, look Jesus in the eye and say, I so am in love with you for what you did that I spend every waking moment doing that what you did. Thank you for joining us here at Revealed Truth. I would like to personally invite you to visit with us at Morris Creek Baptist Church. We're located at 3107 Union Chapel Road in Curry, North Carolina. Our Sunday school starts at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings and is followed at 11 o'clock with our Sunday morning worship service. We also have a time of prayer and Bible study on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. We look forward to seeing you soon.